My name is Damon. Um, if you're able, please uh, remain standing for the reading of God's word. This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 45, the verses 20 through 23. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seats. Thank you, brother, for reading the scripture. At this time, our uh, children's church is dismissed. It's kind of like the old days, but kind of different. It's like camping. Um, so they're going to head out to my left, your right. Miss Val will meet them, as well as Miss Paulina. If you happen to bring your Bible in whatever form you have it, either paper or digital, um, we are looking at a single verse this morning, which is Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, and I just highly encourage you to open because I'm going to be um, pointing out some very distinctive phrases, and I'd love you to have eyes on them. Well, it's interesting to me how a word or a phrase can capture or mark an event and can provoke feelings and thoughts. Um, my grandparents, one was born in 1903, the other in 1909, um, they used to talk about the Great Depression. And when they talked about it, you could tell it was very personal for them. That simple phrase, the Great Depression, uh, provoked thoughts and feelings. So did Pearl Harbor, December 7th. They talk about that and you could see that there was pain and anger. Just a simple phrase. Um, it usually marks an event that changes the world. For my parents, it was probably something like John F. Kennedy assassination, which changed things, or Neil Armstrong, uh, Apollo 11, and the feelings of pride about our country being the first to step foot on the moon. More recently for us, if you're like 23 or older, 9-11. And I say 23 or older because my son was four at the time, now he's 23, and he drew pictures of the towers uh, for months afterwards. He still has it burned in his mind. And when we say that, 9-11, I think we have feelings about it and thoughts and images come to mind. We talked about life pre-9-11 and life post-9-11 and how much it changed. It changed at least the airports and the structure of government um, since that time. I don't think it's beyond a stretch to say that the word COVID, which I'm sure you're tired of hearing about, but it's going to continue, that it has changed reality. And I would be willing to bet that that name, COVID, or its twin sister coronavirus, um, 
will be something talked about by our kids and our grandchildren for decades to come. I can hear my kids going, I remember back in the 2020s when the COVID hit and we couldn't go to school for five years. We had to do Google Meets, you know. Five years, I was being facetious, maybe. We'll see. But it's changed things. It's changed things, and it's going to be talked about for decades to come. What happened this year, and who knows how long it'll go on. Do you remember where you were when you first realized it was, it was, it, it was a big deal? I mean, whether you're not, you really believe it's a big deal, we at least believed at some point, at some mark in history, like in March, that something was happening. Like before that, for me personally, it was, uh, it was like something happening in Asia. It just didn't affect me. It felt like it was something happening a long ways away. And then I remember it was Friday the 13th, March, when we had to make the difficult decision of shutting down church as we know it for the first time in decades. I'll never forget that. And those moments we felt like, wow, this is, this is big. And it shut down our lives. And may I, may I suggest it's because at least initially we believed. It wasn't until June that I actually knew somebody who had the virus. But we believed at some level to some degree that it was real. And of course, at one level it is real. And the validity of the voices who were saying what they were saying is a topic for another discussion. The simple fact is we believed in it shut down our world. It just goes to show you, it's just an example of, of how real faith or real belief in a voice of authority changes things. Real belief, real faith sets things in motion. Contrast that to the other one I mentioned, 9-11. I, I don't think any of us, I'll speak for myself, I, I, I don't think I really believe that that could happen. Like, theoretically, yes, I know things can fall to the ground and nuclear bombs can go off and things can be destroyed. But, like, I think most of us are just awestruck that that could actually happen. And now there's a case where we didn't believe it could happen and we were caught off guard. So in the one sense, a belief can set, uh, set life in motion and a disbelief can cause a certain amount of complacency. Now, I bring that up because the whole of the Bible says that all of history, like rivers, are heading towards one event. Like the prophetic voices, the apostolic voices, they all speak of an event in the future that is certain that's going to happen. And some believe it, and it's changed your life, and it will change your life, because you believe it's going to happen. Because like I said, belief, real belief sets life in motion. Doubt causes complacency. So some are going to believe this event is, is going to happen and it's going to change your life or it has changed your life. Others will believe in it theoretically, like believing that I suppose towers can come down, but not really. And it's not going to have an impact on your life. And then there are those who simply are going to say, it's not going to happen. They disbelieve. But this event has been spoken of in the Bible. Like I said, all streams of history are going to lead up to it. The question is, what is that event? And most of you know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to call it this. That this event, this future event that is certainly going to happen, is a glorious yet catastrophic reunion. A glorious yet catastrophic reunion between God and humanity. 
from the event of Genesis 3, when mankind first rebelled, heaven and earth, the divine and the human have been separated. That is divided. Like the little garden of Eden was the intersection point between the divine and the human or heaven and earth. That's where we dwelt with God. And yet after the rebellion, they were separated. And the rest of the Bible, like a, like a moving river, declares that there is a, a reunion that's coming that is going to be glorious on the one hand and yet tragic on the other hand. That is the arrival of the Lord. Now listen, if I may say, the most deadly thing to broken, fallen humanity, the most destructive thing to broken and fallen humanity is one thing, an encounter with the holy God. It's not the coronavirus, it's not tsunamis, it's not a wayward asteroid floating through space, it's, it's an encounter with God in the wrong way. And the importance of encountering him the right way. Let me just read from you from the Hebrew prophets in the Psalms, Jeremiah and Isaiah about this event. And again, this is just a tiny sample, but just listen and let the collective voices of the prophets speak to your heart. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to heavens and calls to the earth that they may judge his people, that he may judge his people. That's Psalm 53 and 4. Psalm 86, 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. That's King David. Psalm 96, 12 through 13. And this is a joyful response. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Jeremiah 3, 17. At this time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then the final one, which was read just a few moments ago by Damon. Isaiah 45, 23. By myself, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. That verse from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 23, is quoted by Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. However, in Isaiah, the reference is clearly to Yahweh, the Lord, and in Philippians chapter 2, the reference is to Jesus. Now, we have been, if you're new with us or joining us for the first time online, we have been making our way through a precious portion of scripture found in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, which many believe to be an ancient hymn. And it's a remarkable reflection and revelation, not just of the heart of Christ, but the heart of God himself and is given to us as a, an example to follow, as well as a motivation to get us there, where we're told to, to uh, have the mind of Christ. And that mind is, though he existed in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, like God emptied himself 
and became or took the form of a slave or a servant born in the likeness of man. And he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross, the, from the heights of the heaven to the vileness of crucifixion for the sake of his people, like to give himself to take judgment we deserve that's coming so that we wouldn't have to face it. And then in verse 9, we looked at last week as the big change. We, we read that, therefore, that is on the basis of, of the, the great work of humiliation that God the Son did. It says, God the Father, it doesn't say Father, but it's implied, verse 11, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, and this is our verse, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, this is Isaiah 45, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is a picture of the universal acknowledgement, respect, reverence, submission to Jesus. In verse 9, it was the father doing the action of exalting his son. In verse 10, it's all of creation exalting the son. Every knee bow, bows in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. I want to break that verse down in two parts. Actually, what I'm going to do is I'd like to look more at what it means and then what it means for us. What it means and what it means for us. This amazing verse, a quotation of Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. First, just consider the phrase, the name of Christ, that is at the name of Jesus. And then second, every knee. Just, let's just dwell on those for a couple seconds. And, and I hope you'll understand why. Because I, I want more than anything, I want for Christ to be exalted in your affections, your heart. Not just in your mind, but your life and your heart. Last week, I argued from verse 9 that the name above every name that was conferred upon or bestowed by the Father on the Son is none other than the holy name of Yahweh, the I Am. And I'm hoping that some of you tuned in and watched it. Maybe you didn't. If you didn't, just really quickly, why I believe that. Because in the Jewish mind of Paul, there is only one name that he would have known to be above all, every other name. Psalm 138, you have exalted above all things your name, and the name in the context is Yahweh. And that's confirmed in verse 11 when they, the confession is that Jesus is Lord, which is the equivalent of Yahweh in the New Testament. So it's the sacred name that God the Father bestows upon Jesus who has risen from the grave. Well, the question is then in our verse, so that at the name of Jesus which is the purpose for everything, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It's like, okay, Dan, like, is it the name of Jesus? Or is it the name of the sacred name of Yahweh? That can be confusing. Now, in one sense, you can't separate them because they're one person. But in another sense, I think Paul is driving at something deeper or more glorious. So just take the phrase, I want you to look down at your Bible or your iPhone, whatever you have, and I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, at the name Jesus, every knee should bow. In that case, Jesus would be the formal cause of people kneeling. 
If it was phrased this way, um, at the name Jesus, every knee should bow. It doesn't say that. It says, at the name of Jesus. That's awesome. He just did a wheelie. Did you see that? Pretty awesome. God loves you. <laughs> this is awesome. It says the name of Jesus, which means the name belonging to Jesus. The, uh, and and w- w- what name is that which belongs to Jesus? Well, I think that's the name of verse 9. The name that belongs to Jesus is the same name that God the Father has bestowed upon the Son, namely the sacred name that he doesn't share with anybody else. That's a way of exalting Jesus to the highest place. He is the apex of heaven and earth because he has been given this name. So the, if you want to call it the formal cause of people dropping to their knees, it's because Jesus has been crowned with the name Yahweh for his great work of redemption. He is the messianic God-man king before whom all creation bows. Now that, the whole sense of that is to just like shoot Jesus up to the highest of heights in your mind. Like this, this isn't just a king. He wears the eternal name, the sacred name of Yahweh. And before that, every knee bows. So that's the name. Every knee. Paul wants to make it clear that everyone drops. Everyone takes a knee, but not in protest, but in submission. Reverent submission. He says, every knee will bow in heaven. That is, in the realm of the the heavenly celestial beings, the rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, the hierarchy of angels and cherubim and seraphim and living creatures, all of them bow the knee. All of heaven already This has already happened in heaven and is happening in heaven right now. Every knee bows. They understand who the king is, even in heaven, not just on earth, but who the king is. The most vivid picture of that is captured in Revelation chapter five. And I want to read it to you. And I just want you to try maybe close your eyes and tune everything else out and just listen and picture the scene that John describes of Jesus at the center of heaven and everyone worshiping him. Verse 11 of chapter five, Revelation says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with the loud voice, worthy is the lamb. In other words, worthy is Jesus who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's all of heaven facing the lamb, facing the throne, proclaiming his power and wisdom and wealth and might and honor, glory and blessing. And he goes on to say, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Heaven already already does it. They already know who the king is. Who's at the center sitting on the throne? Ask the lamb. Well, what's happening in heaven right now will one day happen on earth. Every knee on earth will bow. All people alive when he returns will bow the knee. It will be irresistible. 
No one will be left out. Everyone bows the knee. To those who trusted in him, it will be a moment of pure joy, elation, anticipated from the very beginning. It finally came, the event. And even those under the earth will bow the knee. We talk about under the earth, what we're talking about is the realm of the dead. And there are clear associations between the underworld and the demonic. The context of Isaiah 45 suggests the enemies too bow. Now think about that for a second. Even the dead rise to kneel from the underworld. Every knee will bow. Revelation chapter 20. And I saw the dead standing before the throne, great and small, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And they were judged by what was written in the books. Even the dead will rise to kneel. Imagine how it will feel when Pontius Pilate, who officiated over the crucifixion of Jesus, rises to kneel before the, the crucified, the one he crucified. <laughs> That's kind of like an uh-oh moment. Who knows? Maybe Pontius Pilate came to faith. We don't know. Nero, standing before the one whose followers were lit on fire in Rome, Stalin, Marx. That's going to be a fun one. The dead will rise to kneel before Jesus as the apex, the enemies of God, which includes, as I said, associations with the demonic realm. Even the devil himself will be forced to kneel in reverence, not a humble reverence befitting of someone holy, but a defiant reverence, recognizing and acknowledging that Jesus is who he said he is. There will be no resistance. There will be no arguments, no objections, no bartering. It's simply an acknowledgement that Jesus is, in fact, Yahweh. Every knee. Again, like I said, it should just like, wow. This is who Christ is. This is who Christ is for his people For us who have bowed the knee to Christ now, that is going to be a day of unspeakable joy. Of seeing his face of the one who gave his life for us. And we won't see his face in fear of his judgment as if he's going to condemn us because therefore those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned. And it will be a day of darkness for those who do not. That's the simple truth of the whole of the Bible and the witness of both the prophets and the apostles. So what does this truth mean for us? Right? The exaltation of Jesus, the universal homage of his supremacy, of his divinity. Two quick things. One is hope. The hope of victory and of vindication. Like we know that Jesus won the war over sin and death at the cross and resurrection. But that final act where war comes to a close, when Jesus stands triumphant over all creation, for all to see and all to acknowledge, that is a time of hope that eventually everybody is going to realize that Jesus is who he said he was. And our faith will be vindicated. That is right now, people can choose to deny Jesus. They can choose to believe that Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. They can choose to believe that Jesus never existed, which is 
in, to me, highly implausible. They can believe that God is many things to different people, that there are many roads to God, or that God doesn't exist at all. But on this day, this day of hope, it will be clear to all that what we have believed and what we have confessed and what we have preached about Jesus from the scripture is actually 100% true and undeniable. Vindication of the gospel, vindication of faith. There will be no more questions. The final resolution, Jesus wins. Jesus is victor and every knee bows to him. That should give us a sense, church, of hope. And, and that day is coming. It's one of those beliefs that should set our hearts in motion towards that day. Not just a theoretical day. I mean, just like I said, think about all the things that we couldn't, didn't believe could happen that have happened. Just because something's outside the realm of our experience doesn't make it not true or that we shouldn't believe in it. Like I said, the coronavirus wasn't a part of my immediate experience until June. And yet it's still set in motion certain things. You know, I, one of the shows I, I watched growing up in the 70s was the old Star Trek. Don't judge. You know, with Jim and Spock and Bones and Scotty. And they had those little cool communicators. And I thought, saw those things, man, that could never happen. And now we're like way beyond that. It's like, it's more than happened. A year ago, if you were to tell me that a person could exercise unilateral authority and shut down a state for six months in America, I probably would have said, you're crazy. And no commentary, by the way. It's just to say, I never would have guessed. But here we are. Listen. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's going to happen. And we have to believe it. One day it will, be, there will, it will be vindicated. You will see it. And that's what we need to live for, his return. And the second thing is, is this. Is to live now by faith what people in the future will do by force. That is, if you think about it, like we're already doing, practicing right now what's going to happen. It's the gospel call. The gospel call is to kneel before the Lord in faith, in submission, in joy, in love, before the one who gave his life for us. And the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, that is, kneel before me, all that I have commanded the kingship of Christ. We're doing right now and saying to each other, when we declare the praises of Jesus or we sing about every knee bowing, what we're saying to each other and to the world is that we know who our king is. This is our king. Our king is Jesus, and he's the one we worship. He's the one we trust. He's the one we live for. He's the one we're willing to joyfully entrust, kneel down before and say, I trust you with everything. I trust that you've done everything necessary for me to be fully and completely forgiven. I trust you that you have done everything necessary for me to be embraced and you've done everything necessary for me to see the face of God and live. Church, that, 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 is, that, is, that is hope. And that is the gospel call 
to practice right now, kneeling before the Lord, what later people will be doing irresistibly. The events of 9-11 have made a difference. COVID has changed our lives. But those are completely and utterly insignificant to the event that's coming when, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, will bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Amen? Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus, who is exalted and at your right hand right now ruling. We pray that we would trust him with all these things going on around us. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for its leaders. We pray that you would grant wisdom and justice, that you would bring discipline where discipline's needed. You bring truth to dispel the lies. We pray for our own community, that you would help us as Christians to simply live humbly, loving and serving and testifying to the power of Jesus to change life. We pray that you would protect us through this time, preserve our faith, preserve our joy. And we just stop and say thank you for allowing us to gather and to experience each other's voices and singing and praying and reciting scripture together. We're just blessed. So thank you, Lord, for this event where we're able to just kneel down and worship Jesus as our King. Amen.